0: When it comes to the law of God, many Christians tend to be a bit confused. Is the law done away with? Did Christ do away with the law? Is it still applicable? How is it applicable? Let's talk about that next. From Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor Steve Converse. Hi there. Welcome to our broadcast. We're in the book of Romans today in a message called Released from the Law. And we're in chapter 7 specifically. The Apostle Paul is seeking to help us understand where the law fits in our lives as believers in Christ, those who live by grace. It does fit. It does belong in our lives as Christians, but how is the subject of our time today? And then at the close of our broadcast, I've got information about our upcoming Equip conference. And I'll tell you all about it. But for now, here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth.
1: When you look at, at chapter uh, 7 of Romans, you see over and over again certain statements that Paul makes in verse... Um, Uh, I think it's down in verse 12, he says, So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And then verse 14, he says something similar. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual. And then down in verse 22, he brings it up again, For I delight in the law of God. So the law isn't something that we should not delight in. The law of God is not something that we should set aside now that we're Christians. The law is holy. The law is to be respected. The law is to be exalted. And when you violate the law, we call that what? Sin. And that's what the New Testament bears out. Sin is the transgression of God's law. If there was no law, there was no transgression of the law. And so when we look at Romans, the book of Romans, remember the whole theme is justification by what? By faith. Okay, you don't Become justified by God by keeping the law or by doing anything. You're justified by faith. And so in chapter 3, verse 31, Paul asks this kind of rhetorical question. He says, do we then make void the law through faith? Since we're not saved by the law, Paul's asking the question because he knew his hearers were asking the question, well, what good is the law then, Paul? Can't we just throw it out? If you're saying it doesn't save us, if you're saying we're justified not through the law but through faith, What do we do with this law of God? Can you come to God by faith? And when you do that, you don't have to worry about the law at all. I mean, thank God we're not saved by keeping the law, right? I think what a hassle that would be, keeping every little jot and tittle. And so when Paul answers that question, back in chapter 3, he says, no, we don't void out the law. We establish the law. So we're at a point in the book of Romans, chapter 7, where Paul is interested in pointing out to us what the relationship is between the law of God and believers and Jews and whoever else, Gentiles. He wants us to know that we're not just to cast it aside. Because the law is good, the law is holy, the law is righteous, the law is honorable. The law reflects the mind and the heart of God. That's what it is. But as holy and as good, as righteous the law is, it never will nor has it ever justified anybody by them keeping it. And so when you look at the book of Romans and you see this justification by faith as the, the theme that you're saved not by keeping the law, but by faith in Christ, in the work of Christ, we went all the way back to chapter 3 and we began to unravel this justification by faith. What does he mean by this? And the first couple chapters showed us Really, how much we need to be justified by faith because we're so sinful. And then he gets to chapter uh, 3 and 4, and he has basically begins to uh, establish this doctrine of justification by faith. And then we begin to learn some of the results of justification. And we had a couple messages on that. In chapter 5, we learned that one of the results of our being justified by God and not by the law is that we have security. Because it's God who justifies, not us. That should be a blessing. We don't save ourselves. We don't justify ourselves. God saves us. And then chapter 6, we learned that one, another result of being saved by God's justification through faith is that not only are we secure, but God starts a process of sanctification. He makes us holy. We're already made holy in our position before God, but God makes us holy in our practice each and every day. More and more, we we learn to live more like Christ. And then by the time we get to chapter 7, we begin to realize that there's more benefits of justification. And the benefit, he points out in chapter 7, is that, you know what, for the first time in your life, if you've come to Christ, if you've been justified by faith, if you've been saved by the blood of Christ, you're free from the law. You're not held bondage to the law anymore. And so that's a very important progression for Paul to, to make. That, hey, we're, we're sinners. We need, we need to be saved. God justifies us. Now that we're justified, what happens? Do things go on just as normal? No. Things begin to change. We begin to learn that we're, we're secure in Christ. That allows us to live a holy life. And here in chapter 7, he points out that we have liberty in Christ freedom from the law we've been released from the the law of god and so it's it's important that we remember that that salvation is a a process that changes people it's not something you just do and come to church and raise a hand or go to a evangelistic meeting and raise your hand and and say well that's that's done next no it's a process of transformation Always remember, salvation is not addition. Salvation is not you adding the church or the Bible or prayer or something else to your life. That's not going to save you. What will save you is when God has transformed your heart. He's transformed your mind. So we have peace with God because of our union with God. And now we have freedom from the law because of our union with Christ. And that's really what he's still kind of answering back in chapter 6, verse 1. He asked that question, a similar question. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? See, legalistic people have a hard time with a gracious gospel. They have a very difficult time with it. There's, there's people who are, I'm not saying they're not Christians, but they're legalists. They think somehow by keeping certain rules and regulations that somehow that benefits your relationship with God. And when they hear someone preach a gracious gospel, it goes against everything that they believe. Because they need somebody to come along with a list of rules and say, Now now that you're a Christian, you have to do this, 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 and this. And if you do this, we're good. I wish it was that easy. It's not that easy. And so you have certain churches that will preach about certain things that are just kind of ridiculous. The length of your hair or, you know, whether you wear makeup or not. Or what you wear, what you dress. I mean, all those things should honor Christ in our lives as Christians. But see, the legalist says, no, 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 no. You, you can't be a believer and, and, and have that piercing in your nose or that color in your hair or, or this or that. That's what the legalist says. And they can't point really to, you know, chapter, verse a lot of times when they bring these things up. So for the most part, it's it's legalistic, uh, it's a legalistic mess. And what Paul is trying to get them to understand is that, you know what, you're freed from all that. In Christ, you're free. Does that mean we can just go do whatever we want? No. And that's what we're going to find out today. We're, uh, We're free to do what Christ desires us to do. Last week, we looked at the first uh, thing their principle, the principle we found in verse 1 of Romans chapter 7. He says, or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law. And here he's not using the law in, in really even in a way that would relate to the Mosaic law. It does, because that's what they figured. But he could be talking to Gentiles and just talking about the laws in the town. All right? there's, there's no real uh, definite article there in front of law to make it the law of God. So he may be referring to that. He may just be referring to the law in general. But what he says is, understand any law, whether it's God's law, whatever it is. It says the law is binding on a person, what? Only as long as he is alive or as he lives. That's the principle, The principle basically is this. Paul wants us to understand that law, any law, only applies to living people. If someone breaks the law and they die in the process of breaking the law, a police officer isn't going to write them a ticket. That'd be silly. It doesn't apply to them anymore. They're dead. They've left left this realm and went into the next. And so he wants us to understand that we, we, to gain victory in our Christian lives over sin... We have to wrestle with this aspect of the law and our relationship to it. And so he says, first of all, this principle is simple. It's basically that, you know what, the law applies to only those who are alive. And then he moved on and he gave us a picture. He gave us an illustration. He gave us an analogy of what he's trying to say. And that's in verses 2 and 3. And we began to get into this last week. So he says, let me give you an example. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. It's kind of basic. So you have a married woman. You have somebody who's married to a man, married by law to her husband. They're both alive and they're married. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Verse Three, says, accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. Now, any hearer of Paul when he's writing this or when he's reading this or when they're reading this would understand what he's saying. This doesn't, this isn't a a treatise on marriage and divorce and it doesn't bring any of that minutiae into it. He's just using it as an example. So don't go to this text and say, oh, here, you know, we can use this as a proof text for marriage. No, that's not his point. His point is simply, you know what, there's law. Let's use the law of marriage. (laughs) When a woman is married, she's married to her husband as long as he's alive. If she goes and marries another husband or sleeps with another man while he is still alive, that's what you call an adulteress. Somebody who violates the law of marriage, violates the covenant of marriage. But then he goes on in verse 3, he says, but if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. So he just points out this picture of marriage. Like, hey, you know, it's the same thing with the law of God. And that's what he's going to point out to us in a second. But he's just getting them kind of warmed up to this. So he illustrates through the picture of marriage the point that the law is only binding on those who are alive. And then he gets to what we call the practical application in verses 4 to 5. He says, likewise, my brothers... And what he's saying there is basically, because of what I just told you, you know, hence, as a result of, wherefore, whatever your your version says, but what he's saying is based on what I just explained to you in verses 1 through 3, here's what I want you to understand. Based on the principle that the law only applies to the people who are alive... And I gave you a picture of marriage. Based on that, he says, likewise, my brothers. And so he's kind of using that endearing term. He wants them to know that he's sharing truth with them. A lot of times we do that when, when we have a, something hard to say to somebody. What do we say? Brother, you know, I love you, but, right? Her sister, you know, we, we do that. And Paul is doing just that. And so he says, likewise, brothers. Look at what he says next. You also have died to the law. So remember, this, this marriage of picture, of, the picture of marriage is in, your, in their mind. And so then he brings up, well, remember, you, brothers, have died to the law. In the original language, it's a little more graphic. Brothers, you were put to death. You could even say, brothers, you were put to death violently. <laughs> Like you were dead, dead, dead. It's in the aorist tense, which reminds us that there's there's something that happened at a point in time back here, but it still has ongoing ramifications. That's the idea. And so you're saying, okay, I get the idea that, you know, a husband, if he dies, the woman is free from that law of marriage. How does this relate to us? He says, you also have died to the law. You might say, well, Where do you get that? Look at verse 3 of chapter 6. We went through this. But just to remind you. Chapter 3, chapter 6, verse 3. Sorry, chapter 6, verse 3. Paul says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ... So who's he speaking of? Christians, right? He's talking to people who've had a transformation in their life. They've been saved by the glorious work of Christ on the cross. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized, what? Into his death. Into his death. And that we not only died with him, it says, but we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. That's how dead we were. You don't bury somebody who's not dead. Well, some people do, but it's not a good thing to do. It doesn't have the best interest of those being buried at heart, I guess you could say. So he points out here that, you know what, as Christians, we died with Christ, positionally, on the cross. And what he wants us to understand, look at verse 4, he says, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, or, or kind of for the reason of, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The question you ask yourself is this. Could Jesus Christ have raised from the dead if he didn't die? Kind of a ridiculous question, right? No. Okay, so this is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, so we died with Christ, but it doesn't end there. We don't just, you know, lay in the the dirt the rest of the time. We're not dead. Now, obviously, we're talking spiritually, not physically. But the idea is that until we die, we can't be raised. And that's what he says, that we might walk in the newness of life. So why did we have to die this violent death with Christ? And we went into all this, and you can look at the the mystical union that we have with Christ in his death and burial and resurrection. We talked about all that. We're not going to get into that this morning, but that's a reality that the Bible teaches. We became one with Christ. Well, where was it? It was on Calvary. And so we're united with Christ, we die with Christ, we're raised with Christ, and now we live a new life, in the newness of life, just as Christ lived His life. Now, the thing you have to understand about the law is that before you came to Christ, could the law save you? No. Okay? No. There was no way that the law, or you keeping the law, could save you it had no ability to save you it had no ability to redeem you as a matter of fact the bible clearly says that by the deeds of the law no flesh will be what justified it doesn't stutter It doesn't stammer it doesn't have a gray area it says by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified so if you're trying to justify yourself if you're trying to reach salvation By doing certain deeds of the law, guess what? It's not going to work out. Not a good idea. Before you were saved, the law had no ability to redeem you. All it does, it points out our sinfulness. It doesn't save us, it actually condemns us. That's the reality. That's the purpose of the law. That's all it could do. It condemns us. That's why God gave the law to show us our inability to keep it. But now stop and think. Now that you're saved, now that you're in Christ, you're a new creature in Christ, you're walking in this newness of life with Christ, you need to understand the law not only cannot redeem you, but now because you are in Christ, it doesn't even condemn you. (laughs) It doesn't even condemn you. The Bible says there's no, what? Condemnation for those that are in Christ, Paul points out. So you could, literally, you could take God's law and you could start reading it and you could become very depressed. Because there's a lot of things in there I'm sure you don't do. There's a lot of things in there I don't do. And boy, it could just weigh heavy on our heart. Boy, we could just be condemned. That's why we need to be freed from the law. And that's what Christ did. And because all of the law could demand from us was death. We looked at that, right? The wages of sin is what? death. He that sins, the Bible says, the soul shall die. God told Adam in the garden, you know what? If you break this law, you will die. And all the law can demand of us is death. And so it happened that we died. Now stop and think, follow this with me. Technically, if someone were to go out in society and murder five people, they get caught. And it's in another state. I don't think we have the death penalty now. It's in another state that practiced Florida. I think they got the death penalty. And they're going to put this man to death because he was found guilty through a court of law. And they take him in and they strap him in the electric chair and they pump some voltage through his body till he's dead. And that individual breathes his last and he's dead. And on the way to the morgue, he's declared dead by a doctor. On the way to the morgue, they put him in the morgue, they go to get him out, and he's alive. Guess what? The law has no way... Of following up. If he was raised from the dead, this is the key thing. He paid the penalty. He died. You can't bring him back into a court of law. Well, wait, no, he killed. Hey, he died. Well, he's alive now. Hey, Nothing we can do. He was declared dead. See, this is where we're at. This is who we are. That's what we need to understand. That the penalty was paid by Christ. And so in Christ, when we're joined with Christ, we die. The law cannot redeem us any longer. Never could. But now, not only don't we have to worry about getting saved by the law, now we don't even have to worry about being condemned by the law because it won't apply to us. But before we came to Christ, the law couldn't redeem you. It could only condemn you. And so you are under its bondage. And that's what Paul is pointing out here, that we're released from that. Now, look at what he says here in verse 4. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, or you were put to death. Interesting verb construction here, just to let you know, it's a a passive verb, which means you didn't kill yourself. (laughs) This isn't something you did to yourself. You couldn't do that. God did it. It was God's plan all along for your salvation. It was God who carried it out. It was God who redeemed you. It was God who put you in Christ. It's all the work of God when it comes to salvation. And when you died, the law no longer had authority over you because you died in Christ. And so we're not under the law's condemnation anymore. We're released from that. And you say, well, how does this happen? He goes on in verse 4 and he tells us it's through the body of Christ. Through the body of Christ. What does he mean? He means by offering the body of Christ at the crucifixion, by being crucified with Christ, Jesus in death satisfied the law because he died the death that the law demanded. He did it. He died on that cross. He paid the penalty for our sin in full. And as a result of that, he freed us from the law. That's why if you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, you see very clearly there, he says, For our sake, he made him, God made him, God made Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. Why did he do that? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He redeemed us. From the law by his death. God did this through Christ for us.
0: Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-366. 9923 again that's 6503669923 or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org we've got a lot of resource materials available there more information about who we are and if you need a map to visit us at grace bible church that's there as well again gracefultruth.org and would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app. New and improved and ready to use. Whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church, Redwood City, ca Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. Another note as we let you go today, don't forget to sign up for our Equip Conference 2017, which will take place November 10th, 11th, and 12th. Now, the sole focus of the Equip Conference is to expose you to biblical teaching and preaching for the purpose of growing you, your leadership, your church members to do effective ministry. Along those lines, our keynote speakers this year will be Justin Peters and Kosti Hinn. It's all based out of 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. We would love to have you join us. Go to gracebibleonline.org forward slash equip for all of the details and to register. Again, gracebibleonline.org forward slash equip. That's the Equip Conference 2017, November 10th, 11th and 12th. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth.